Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning once again to the Acts of the Apostles, the first chapter, where we will concentrate this morning on verses 6 through 11. Acts chapter 1, 6 through 11, you can find that passage on page 1069 in your pew Bibles, or I believe page 4 if you are uh, going through the, the note-taking uh, book on Acts that we gave you. Uh, again, if you've not been able to do so, please feel free to grab one of those off the fellowship hall table and keep it. It is yours. It is our gift to you. And it was purchased in the hope that we would be able to all benefit from its use. Last week, you remember that we looked together at what is essentially the prologue of the book of Acts. We primarily focused in on just the first three verses, though we included verses four and five with our reading and touched upon them very briefly. But you will remember that even in just the prologue, I pointed out to you that Luke answers for us three very important questions that we need to not only consider the answers of, but to keep those answers at the front of our minds as we embark on this journey together through the Acts of the Apostles for the foreseeable future. It's not my desire to speak about those things exhaustively again this morning, rather to just perhaps stir your memories a bit as we prepare to dig into the heart of the text that is going to be before us this morning. And that first question that we said arises and is answered for us in just the prologue, prologue of this work, was the question as to why it was that Luke was now taking on this second volume of work following his gospel account. In other words, why now? Why book two? Why the book of the Acts of the Apostles on the heels of his gospel? And Luke makes it very clear for us from the outset. He is writing to give the full counsel of God regarding the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now he is presenting to Theophilus and to us, for that matter, in book two, the rest of the full counsel of, of God's work. And it's fitting that Luke does that here. Gospel according to Luke ends with the resurrection and makes just a brief mention of the ascension, which is precisely where Luke once again picks up his will to write. Luke is giving us the rest of the story. And it's an important thing for us to remember. It does not end here does not end at the gospel according to Luke. He's going to tell us the full story, including the future, the full story of our redemption. And so he's standing here, as I said, at the beginning of another epoch or another era of redemptive history. I mentioned to you last week that as Jesus ascends to his throne, he will be sending the Holy Spirit to equip his witnesses to take the gospel essentially to the ends of the earth. He will equip them, he will equip us, beloved, to live during this new era of redemptive history. 
to live in the tension between what has already been accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ and what is still yet to come. When Jesus comes again and makes all things new. It was a new era in redemptive history for these apostles. And of course we are still living in that era today. So it's an important question that's answered here about the purpose of the book of Acts. Luke then moved into the question of how this preparation was and even would continue to be completed. And he pointed us towards the many infallible proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to these men, these apostles. Not only did he physically appear to them in his resurrected body, but he taught them. I mentioned to you last week the event that took place on the road to Emmaus. That Jesus appeared to his disciples and he taught them from Moses and the prophets all things concerning himself. He eventually would even open their eyes to who it was that was teaching them these things on the road, though we are told in Luke's gospel he did not do it immediately. I told you last week that it forces us to see the wonderful sovereignty of Almighty God in all of it, doesn't it? He is leading, he is directing, he is carrying out his perfect will and his plan of our complete salvation until that day when Jesus Christ comes again in glory to usher in the new heavens and new earth. He is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over the events of history, the course of history. He even chooses who will be his witnesses. He both opens and closes the eyes of whom he will. For those whose eyes have been opened, he graciously shows them Jesus Christ from all the scripture. He teaches his followers to interpret his word Christologically. And in doing so, he moves them along in the purpose of their lives to know these things, to love these things, and to live in light of these things. That they may be his witnesses to the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and take its message of hope to the very ends That is how the purpose here is carried out. Which leads us to what it has to do with us. I told you last week, beloved, this is not merely history. Luke is clearly at work here under the direction of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God to show us how we ought to now live as followers of Jesus Christ in light of these things. And seeing these things truly ought to be a comfort to us. We too are living in this tension between the already and the not yet, between what is broken here because of sin and what will be made perfect when Jesus comes again. Between sorrow and the pain of sin and death, 
joy, resurrected, spirit-filled life, lived in power, in anticipation of what awaits us in the new heaven and earth. And so we too, we too need to look deeply upon these things. We too need to be comforted because we too, like all of those who have gone before us, know exactly what it is to be weary and heavy laden and burdened. We too have tasted the bitterness of the reality of the sin that so easily ensnares us. We too are living under the weight of the effects of the curse. So we need to be reminded of what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ has truly done for us. He came to remove that curse. He came to be that curse in our place. He sacrificed his own life as a ransom for ours. He rose the third day, triumphant over sin, death, and the devil. He has truly given us all that we could ever need. This morning, we will see that he also necessarily ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, where he works as our advocate and he reigns. He rules from his heavenly throne. It is his ascension that will receive our attention this morning in this text before us. And in considering this ascension that Luke is placing before us this morning in the text, I would point out to you how we should correctly understand it, as well as its implications for us as the followers of Jesus, that great and mighty King, the great and mighty King. So please follow along with me now in your Bibles as I read this morning from the book of Acts, chapter 1. I'll start reading from verse 4. Our focus is 6 through 11. So hear now the word of our Lord. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather together and to sit under the preaching and the teaching of your word. We pray, Father, that you would clear our hearts and our minds this morning of those many things that distract us in this life. We pray that we would give our full attention to the glory of the gospel and what it means for us as the followers of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In verses 4 and 5, Luke tells us that the resurrected Jesus, as he was together with his apostles, gave to them a command. 
he told them to not depart from Jerusalem. They were to stay put and to wait for the promise of the Father, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the Helper, not many days from right then. And we touched upon it last week. And if we're not careful in our study here, it would be very easy for us to just glide right by a passage like this, thinking that, of course, we know what is coming. That the Spirit will be poured out at Pentecost. Of course, we'll be looking at that in just a couple of weeks. But I want us to consider here briefly the importance of this specific promise at this specific time. I showed you last week that Luke, of course, knows the prophets. Uh, if you want to do a great study, you can uh, follow some of what Luke is doing, uh, through, especially through the book of Acts, through the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Luke is going back to the prophets, he's going back to Moses, and he's understanding things through the lens of Christ. It's exactly what you and I are doing now as we live in this era of redemptive history. He has understanding in these things, as he mentioned at Theophilus, and Jesus has not ceased from teaching his followers from Moses and the prophets and how they were all about him and his gospel. So consider with me this morning just a few verses from the prophets here and see how they are pointing to this very moment in redemptive history. Jesus is about to ascend to his throne and when he leaves, he is going to send them the Holy Spirit He's going to do it for the purpose that is given in verse 8. Verse 8, Luke says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now I know I'm kind of jumping ahead there, but we need to consider the weight of of this promise the giving of the spirit and we need to know the purpose behind the gift Jesus is going to be ascending to his throne and he's going he's going to send the spirit to empower these men to be his witnesses to carry on his work on earth until he comes again now consider these words of the prophets in light of what we see happening here at this critical moment in the book of Acts. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that you may believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God form or shall there be after me? Chapter 42 of Isaiah, verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to my people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison. Speaking of Jesus in chapter 49, verse 6, Isaiah says, Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing? 
that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so here are these apostles standing on the the edge, standing on the brink of a new era of redemptive history when Jesus will leave them, at least in his physical presence. And he's telling them that they will be his witnesses. Just as scripture has said, to take his message of glorious salvation and continue the work building his kingdom on the earth until he comes again. How will they do it? They will receive power. When will they receive power? When the Holy Spirit comes not many days from now. Why? So that they can continue his work of redemption through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're sort of laser focused right now on what is going on at this moment with these men. And it's a waiting moment, isn't it? It's the fulfillment of prophecy. And the apostles are, of course, excited. Look at what they say in verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, that is, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They recognize that scripture is about to be fulfilled. They know the word of God. Jesus in his resurrected body has been teaching them for 40 days, not to mention three years. They have sat at Jesus' feet for the last three years. They have learned from him. He's been explaining to, to them himself from Moses and the prophets. He's teaching them. All of it is about him. And they're still not seeing the full picture. Do you see that? Jesus' last words to these men, in spite of what they say, are filled with grace and compassion. There's no impatience with them at this critical moment in redemptive history as Jesus is about to leave. Look at what he says. He simply says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has put under his own authority. He does not go after them for really seeing all these crucial, critical things from a completely worldly, even earthly perspective. If this was you or I, we probably would have had a very difficult time not unleashing at least some sort of fury here, right? This is where we would have said, what is wrong with you? Why can you not hear the words coming out of my mouth? This is not at all about a tiny temporary kingdom. We are building the kingdom of Almighty God. 
And it will not just be national Israel. This kingdom will consist of people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. The Gentiles too. My salvation, Jesus says, is for them as well. You see, your God is too small. No, in essence, Jesus says, guys, that's not your business. You do not need to place yourself in the place that you stand in the place of the Father. You do not need to think that you are clever enough to decipher the mind of God. God has this under control. He always has. But you do need something. He says you need this. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's interesting to know here that Luke, in giving us these final words of Jesus pre-ascension, essentially gives us a sort of outline of the rest of the book of Acts. Did you notice that? If you've looked at the book of Acts, if you've read ahead as we uh, embark on this study, these people will be witnesses, these men will be witnesses in Jerusalem, and that is covered in chapters 2 through 7. And they will be witnesses to Judea and Samaria, and that will be covered in chapters 8 through 12. They will be witnesses. They will be witnesses to the ends of the earth, and though chapters 13 through 28 end, of course, in Rome, the gospel is still going to the end of the earth from this moment. They are empowered by the Spirit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in boldness. And they can do nothing else. They take up the work where Jesus left it with them, showing Jesus Christ from the scriptures, proclaiming his gospel to everyone who will hear. And it will transform lives. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and then the Gentile, Romans 1, 16 and 17. These men will stand before powerful kings and kingdoms and they will preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will take the message of the gospel and they will preach it in prisons and in brokenness. They are his witnesses. And it's still continuing today. By the grace of God, beloved, do you understand what began at this moment is continuing this morning? We are his witnesses. Not in the exact same way that these men were, but we too. Empowered by the Spirit of Almighty God, proclaim him in power until he comes again. This is their final preparation before he will ascend to his throne and usher in this new era in redemptive history. However, beloved, this is important. We must see that his involvement in the work of redemption is not ending here. Do you understand that? 
it's continuing still today. You're still in this era. Look at verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Pretty clear, right? He ascends. He does not just disappear. He does not evaporate. He does not merely go away. He does not accomplish our redemption and say, I've done my part. Now get out there and give it your best shot. He ascends to his throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father where he is ruling and reigning right now. He is directing and guiding, providentially equipping his people to be his witnesses. He is sustaining, he is preserving, he is keeping, he is lifting us up sanctifying all that we do say and think. He ascends and right now he is working to bring about his glorious and perfect holy will through his church. Who you are if you belong to him. Well, I want to ask you, do you believe that this morning? That you could be part of something this big this grand, this glorious, you could be included in this? Is this the content of biblical faith in your life? We were talking in men's fellowship yesterday about understanding fully that union with Christ is so much more than just forgiveness of sins. Salvation, for that matter, is so much more than just forgiveness of sins. And I'm not trying to diminish that forgiveness, right? That, that forgiveness is very important, but it's more than that. The gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims that your sins have been removed in him as far as the east is from the west. It's an immeasurable distance. But now, you also have resurrected life in him empowered by the very spirit of God to be his witness to this world. He is our treasure. He is our inheritance. You understand, we have every blessing in Jesus Christ being united to him by faith. Faith that God gives. We now sit, like Paul says, in heavenly places. He is our great treasure. He, he is our great treasure. He is the thing that we would leave everything else behind to have. That's more than forgiveness, isn't it? In the case of these apostles and some of these followers, Christ the King and his kingdom is more than just victory over their earthly enemies whose hands have been somewhat heavy upon their necks. And of course, the temptation would be for them to watch as Jesus is taken up into heaven and wonder, what in the world happens now? Is that it? He's gone? And as they're standing there, staring up into the sky, God has mercy on them yet again. Look at verse 10. 
And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These are angels, these dazzling apparel. Verse 11, who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This is Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. This Jesus will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, guys, what are you doing standing here? Do you still not get it? Do you still not know? This is Jesus the Christ. This is the Messiah, the Redeemer King, and he's coming back. Go. Be gloriously used by him and his grand work of redemption. Because rest assured, the one who came and lived and performed miracles and taught with such authority in your synagogues, the one who died in your place on the cross, though he himself was blameless, the one who arose triumphantly over sin, death, and the devil, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the King of Kings, just as surely as he did all of those things, he is coming back. You can wait for him in eager anticipation. You can count on it because his ascension that you have just witnessed proves it. His ascension proves that what he said was true. His ascension proves, in fact, that his work, the work of Christ, worked. He completed his work on earth. And he arose into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. Beloved, do you understand? The gospel does not end even at the ascension of Christ. It marks a new era in redemption, to be sure. His leaving, though, is not the end. His leaving anticipates his return. For now, in this veil of tears that we call life, this time period between the already and the not yet, he equips us, he guides us, he sanctifies us, he provides for us. God's saving work is confirmed in his ascension. Because he ascended, we will be where he is. We can live with the confidence of knowing that indeed he is reigning. He's directing all things toward the glory of his name. And he is returning to make all things new. To usher in the new heavens and earth where sin will be Where brokenness will be replaced with vitality and restoration and wholeness. Because our king is upon his throne, I ask you this morning, who or what do we possibly have to fear? Who or what can stand against this ascended king and prevail? Beloved, do you know this blessed assurance that is truly ours because Jesus Christ ascended to his throne in the heavens? You know, our confessions are not silent regarding the very confidence that this wonderful truth affords us. The Heidelberg Catechism, beginning in questions 49, question 49 asks this question, what benefit 
Do we receive from Christ ascension? This is the answer first. But he is our advocate in the presence of his Father in heaven. Praise God. Second, that we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, as the head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, that he sends us his spirit as an earnest. By whose power we seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God, and not the things. Because he ascended, he is our advocate with the Father in heaven. He has become a pledge or a, a guarantee for us that our head will take us up to where he is in his resurrected body. And he sent us his spirit as an earnest, as a promise of what is yet still to come. Spirit whose power moves us so that we can seek him and those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand. Question 50 builds upon it. Why is it added? And sitteth at the right hand of the Father. Because Christ ascended into heaven for this end, that he might there appear as the head of his church, by whom the Father governs all things. Question 51. What does this glory of Christ our head prophesy? First, that by his Holy Spirit he pours out his heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Then, that by his power, like a king, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. Do you understand? Why should we not spend our time in this life living in fear because the work of the Lord King Jesus Christ is continuing from his throne right now in your life. The King has come. He's been victorious in throwing down our curse and redeeming us. He arose from death. He ascended to his throne and praise God he is reigning. These disciples were content with far too little in this life because they did not understand what was happening and the joy that was actually theirs because they had been given such a rock-solid promise in the gospel. God would use them to save his people all over the world. I think we have to see that here, right? This is who we are, beloved, in Jesus Christ. This is our purpose. It is our service, our blessing in him, united to him by faith. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel to the very ends of the very ends of the earth. It should be a source of joy for us to do so. That's clear. So, what exactly is it this morning, beloved, that is big enough in your life? that you would want to live contrary to that vision. That, purpose, that blessing. What is it that you are willing to forego the spirit-empowered mission of the church for? It's a searching question. The answer is, of course, found in running to the arms of Jesus. 
one of the reasons I thought this would be a good place for us to live for a while as a church here in the book of Acts is because I know that sometimes in the Christian life, we tend to miss the forest for the trees. We think there is my way and all other ways of getting anything done is something next to blasphemy. And quite often, we get so twisted up over this and it has nothing at all to do with our glorious mission. Nothing. It has nothing to do with our purpose. This is the spirit-empowered kingdom of God. This is the glorious bride of Jesus Christ. This is a place where self comes to die so that Christ lives in those that we have been blessed to be a part of in this life. Do you believe that? Praise God that what we truly need is done despite us, for us, in the gospel. One would have to believe that we would never get to where we need to be. Praise God that King Jesus is reigning from his throne in glory, equipping his people with all that we could ever dream of. Praise God that our salvation is complete and in the hands of our King. We are not only forgiven, but we are now in possession of every eternal blessing in Christ Jesus. Beloved, my prayer for us is that in the weeks and months to come, that we will so embrace that precious truth that we will be transformed by it. We will long for this mission over everything else. That we will open the doors to this church and we will beg people, fellow image bearers, to come in and taste of this heavenly gift. We will open the prisons and set the prisoners free through the glorious good news of the gospel and that everything else becomes secondary. Beloved, ask yourself this morning what the reigning king upon his throne asks of you. And knowing that he gives us everything to do his glorious work, let us worship like those who truly have been given everything in this life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful that King Jesus is reigning in power and on his throne. 